The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So the Global Autism Project has been around for 20 years now. And um, we provide support to entrepreneurs, to different autism centers around the world. We provide clinical training, leadership training, admin and outreach training to um, people who want to grow and scale their, their business and their autism centers around the world. So important, especially, you know, here when we're just at home in our own personal lives and we're dealing with our own families, sometimes we forget that it things are happening on a global scale. And there's so many ways that we can help make a difference and, and help support, you know, other countries. And people probably don't even realize that, that they can, you know, take part of those types of things. So I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Hopefully we're getting Molly up here soon and we'll be able to just jump in and, and get right to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Well, for those of um, you who are joining us okay, this morning, this is the SJ Child Show. I am Sarah, uh, also known as SJ Child, the host, and we are bringing you today the Global Autism Project. And today I have Rachel and Molly as well. She will be joining us in a moment. And they are going to talk to us today about the Global Autism Project and what that uh, means for the world and how exciting that we have something kind of to to cover the whole world's pro progress and and help educate and uh, bring support for those who need it in in different countries around the world. So Rachel, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the Global Autism Project. Yeah. Okay. So the Global Autism Project has been around for um, 20 years now, and pr we provide support to different autism centers, including their owners and their staff uh, with training. And this training includes clinical training, leadership training, um, and admin and outreach support too, so that they can grow their services in their communities. So and I've been involved with the Global Autism Project for, um, this is my fifth year now. It's wow. insane to think about, but I started <laughs> as a volunteer um, on a skill core trip, and we'll probably talk about skill core yeah. in this conversation, um, to one of our partner sites at the time in Uganda. And I um, basically never turned back after that. Oh, there's Molly. Good morning, Molly. <laughs> so nice to see your face. Nice to see you. I've been in the backstage room trying to knock. <laughs> knock. <laughs> Come on in. It's good Come to on. have you here. Oh, it's yeah. it's beautiful to have you here today. Thank you so much. Um, this is Molly, and Molly is 
Um, well, I'll let you tell your, your part of it, Molly, and tell us a, a bit about yourself and, and what brought you here today. Sure, absolutely. So I heard Rachel talking a bit about the Global Autism Project, and as she said, it's been around for 20 years. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of the organization, so I've apparently been around here for 20 years as well. Um, and as she said, you know, the organization really is focused on capacity building worldwide. We provide training in leadership. We provide training in the the nuts and bolts of how to actually run a business. Um, we have a big emphasis on clinician-owned businesses and supporting them not only in running an effective business, but also supporting them in working with the autistic community. I would say those are kind of the two prongs of our focus in our training right now. Um, and as you know, we've done some different, um, put together some different trainings and programs to that end. Yeah, and it's fascinating too, and so important and valuable for our families, communities, educators, therapists around the country, around the globe, excuse me. Um, I have to scale my mind out now to <laughs> reach a bigger place. Um, no, and I've, you know, found you guys, I mean, through, um, it must have just been a random autism post or, you know, Facebook post several, a few years back and, and yeah. wanted to find out how much, how I could better serve you and, and vice versa. And you guys have been wonderful support for the SJ Child Show. So thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. Let's talk about the, um, you know, the importance of educating the world and, and really bringing those ideas, supports and resources to these countries that don't have access to them. Yeah, I think as you were saying earlier, you know, we sort of get caught up in our own little world here in the U.S. thinking, this is really challenging and we don't have enough resources. And every time I hear those conversations, I'm like, yes, and people in your community have likely heard of autism, right? And so that's not the case all over the world. Um, I think one of the things that that we see over and over again with the Global Autism Project is, you know, people say, what does autism look like? Well, autism looks like autism. Humans look like humans, um, you know, and, and what does that even mean anyway? But I think one of the things that we also see is all over the world, there's passionate clinicians and parents and people um, in the lives of mostly these children, although we're shifting towards more adult stuff worldwide as well. Um, but there's just passionate, incredible people that with the with training um, can be just really make a difference in their own communities. Absolutely. And Rachel, you've been a part of it, you said, for about five years now. What brought you to the Global Autism Project? Hmm. It's actually a funny story because a lot of our volunteers find the Global Autism Project because they're looking for some kind of reignition of their passion or they're feeling burnt out um, or they're you know wanting to make a difference. I found out about it because a coworker of mine did one of the volunteer trips and I was like, whoa, what is that? Let me get in on it. <laughs> and um, I did, what drew me to the program was the fact that we would be having a bigger impact in reaching more people. So at that time I was working as a BCBA for an agency in California. And I had my caseload, I was working with my clients and my families. Um, but what I saw as an opportunity with the Global Autism Project was training the trainer, tra working with the local staff and their teachers at the centers and thinking about how um, 
when I left, they would be able to continue on and you know provide services to those kids. And then other families too, like that kind of ripple effect into their community was was really powerful. It is too. It's yeah. so powerful when we are able to reach these communities. And and like you said, sometimes it just takes one mom, one passionate mom to get out there and, and teach her yeah. friends and teach their teachers and teach the other people around them to help them better support their own family. I know that's what I did in my own case. You know, I just started diving into well, how can I better help the kids in my neighborhood understand my kiddos? I write children's books about them so that they can um, read them on their level and understand them on their level. It's so important that we find, you know, how we can reach um, the individuals, the families, the therapists, and and it all as a whole. Um, and so it's beautiful that you've, you know, put this together and, and made it over 20 years, congratulations. This is so fascinating. Tell us kind of how you feel, you know, it's from the beginning till now. But what does that look like to you, Molly? The beginning. <laughs> you know, autism, the autistic community has shifted and changed so much in 20 years. You know, I remember being back in Ghana on my fancy satellite internet connection that I would go to the internet place once a week. It was called busy internet and it was on ring road and it was a big <laughs> deal. We used satellite internet, which meant if somebody had emailed me a photo, I could see it in the email rather than waiting for just like hours for it to load. I'd always be like, don't send me photos. <laughs> um, but I remember looking, um, coming across it might, it may have been a son at the time. It may have been something else, but some sort of autistic self-advocacy network and trying desperately to reach out to them. Cause I was like, Oh, this is who I need to be talking to. And I just never got, I never got a response. The website was sort of functioning, sort of not. Whereas now, if you have any interest in learning from the autistic community, you can go anywhere on the internet. So I think that's one of the biggest shifts that we've seen. You know, we've always talked about doing with and not for, and for, I would say, about 15 or so years, we considered the people that we were doing with were our international partners around the world. Um, and I think that's been the biggest shift is that as an organization, the people that we're doing with is the autistic community. Um, and that's largely in part because of people like you and the podcast and the conversations that Rachel's been having now for, we're going on three years of podcasts, which is wild to me. Um the podcast, by the way, Rachel said, Hey, I'm thinking of doing this thing. And I said, yeah, maybe record 20 episodes and we'll see how it goes. And we'll, that might just be, we just have a 20 episode podcast that just lives on the internet. And then I remember I got an email and it was like, welcome to episode number 78. And I was like, for that. <laughs> so <but> it's, <laughs> it's so incredible. Um, and it's just been so informative for us, you know, just listening to those episodes, having those conversations talking with Rachel about the guests who are coming on and what she's learning um, has just completely informed the direction of the organization. Um, and I'm, I'm just so grateful for that. So I think that's the biggest shift is that the proximity to the autistic community that the autistic adults that we can hear directly from has, has improved so much over the last 20 years. Um, and then the other thing is I remember living in Ghana and going online and trying desperately to find somebody who could come to Ghana and provide training. 
the time there was one person who was even like maybe, um, and they were so cost prohibitive, it was never going to happen. And then the only other people I could find around the world, even trying to do this work was a woman in India. So there, when you were outside of the U S 20 years ago, there was like nothing, you know, the minister of health and going closed the door in my face and said, no, no, we don't have autism here. You know, try South Africa, maybe. Um, and so I was like, no, no, this, this kid and this kid. <laughs> um, whereas now in a lot of countries around the world, you can find that there's parent communities that have come together. We just had this incredible trip to Kenya where we spent a good bit of time with the autistic self-advocate community of Kenya. Um, that wasn't happening 20 years ago. Yeah. So I think that is the biggest shift um, that we see. And if it was happening on any type of level, it certainly wasn't, um, it, you, you certainly couldn't find it or access it in the way that you can today. So. Thank goodness for access, right? We, I mean, we are so lucky. We were kind of joking about that at the beginning. You know, we trust technology with all of our things. But in some of these other places, it is literally you know, a lifeline to resources and access yeah. information. And um, it, it's so important that we try to bring the as much information to the people who, who don't have it as we can. Absolutely. You know, Rachel, when you started the podcast, you know, that was a big uh, journey for you to take on. What was your idea of what that was going to look like? Um, yeah. And so just so, um, our viewers know, we're talking about the autism knows no borders podcast. And, um, so when I started that, yeah, as Molly said, it kind of seemed like this baby side project that I would do. And I thought, you know, I'll bring on our international partners and maybe some of our self-advocates that are in our circles and we'll just do that. But I, I quickly realized that we couldn't just stop there. I think it was around episode 20 when I stopped and I reflected and I'm like, but there's so many more stories to share. Mm -hmm. And from the feedback that I was getting from, I remember this one episode about a father. I think it was Jamil Owens who shared about his journey of accepting his son's diagnosis. Yeah. And from Another, so I, the message I got was actually from a, a young woman, a young autistic woman who it was a comment on our, on our YouTube video or something back when we were posting on YouTube. And she said, you know, this episode really, really touched me because I never thought about what it would be like or what it was like for my parents and what they went through. And so then I'm like, okay, we have to keep going. Like there's no way. And so um, what I also love about the podcast is we bring on so many different perspectives and we at some point created the community um, as like a byproduct of the podcast because we thought, well, you know, how can we get the listeners and the guests to interact with each other? And so that was kind of like next level after the first year of the podcast, we, we decided to open the community, which I think Sarah is maybe where, where we met. Mm-hmm. You I joined our so. online community. And then I and just spammed everyone to come on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you've been a, a very great active member there Thank and you. it's been lovely to have you. So from the community, we started doing roundtable discussions that were also turned into podcast episodes. But 
in these monthly roundtables, we've focused on a theme that was um, posted about in the community week by week. There were different subtopics. There are different subtopics. And what was great about, what is great about these roundtables is that we would bring together all of these different um, ideas. So we'd have the parents, the self-advocates, the professionals all in one conversation talking about, um, for example, one theme we did was coping strategies. What, what, what's that like? What are some different tips? And professionals can hear from autistic people directly and how to improve their practice. So that I think is really key. Other themes we've done are dating and relationships, um, masking and authenticity, um, school accommodations. So just a wide range of topics. And it's it's really great to see how um, the community is a very safe place for people to learn from each other. There isn't any judgment. There's no right or wrong. It's it's really um, supportive and um, people like they, they see each other as family, even they miss each other. You know, when we have those roundtables, they're like, hey, how's it going? And then they catch up a bit. I'm like, OK, guys, let's uh, stay on topic. <laughs> but um, but it's great. It's been now two years since doing the community. And um, obviously, I think we'll talk about at some point what has come out of that, too, with the trainings we're offering. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to talk about the community because I think that that's the the essence of what we're really talking about today is the autistic community and how we can bring, um, you know, now I think that, like you had said, Molly, 20 years ago, the voice of the autistic community wasn't even a thing. And here we are today. In on Autism Live, you know, <laughs> taking over Podcastathon Hour. And what an honor to be able to bring all of us together in one place to share all of these different perspectives to hopefully better the future for the autistic community in general. Molly, when you decided, or when I guess, did you decide that um, moving, you know, tell us about Skill Corps and when that kind of came about? Yeah, good question. So let's see, it's to, I believe it was around 2011, 2012. Um, you know, we had this challenge where we had people around the world who needed training and we had people who I knew would want to be a part of it. They would want to train, they would want to join this, but there was just nothing in place. And I had really been, um, and I think this is part of, you know, over 20 years, there's a lot of learning, right? I had really been like, we're never doing one of those international volunteer programs. They're the worst. The volunteers don't get any support. They end up like hating everything about it. There's no way we're doing it. And then I sort of had this moment where I was like, or we could just do it totally differently. <laughs> we could take everything that we don't like about volunteer programs and create our own. Because initially what I thought is I'll reach out to all those international volunteer programs and say, hey, if you have someone who's focused on autism, have them talk to us. We'll train them. We'll provide them with resources before they go. And I thought, or we could do it ourselves. Um, and so that's what we decided to do. And we, for over a decade, have traveled with We've always recruited for professional diversity. Um, we have recruited for kind of personal diversity as well. And it, I guess it was probably, actually, it was like our second year, I think, of Skill Corps where we had autistic people traveling with us. And I just remember some moments where I was like, there's a connection here 
between this autistic adult and this child that we cannot, we cannot build. Like this is not going to happen, you know, with, um, there's just, there's just, there's just a connection there. And so, um, and so skill core, it was like, if you had personal or professional experience with autism, you were invited to apply. Um, because part of what we wanted to do is we wanted to bring together that diverse group of people. We did not want to say like, okay, you can come on this trip if you're a seasoned professional, um, you know, because really and what we found is that most of the learning, um, or I guess most of the kind of helpful, relevant information on a trip came from the people with the least experience um, or from the people with the lived experience. Mm -hmm. So either an RBT, somebody just learning, someone just getting into the field, maybe someone who had just started out working in a group home or somebody who had this lived experience. And so we bring together these groups of people so that in country, they're able to work together to problem solve, et cetera. Um, the trip that we just did in Kenya, we were actually working with a company called African Coffee Roasters, who has employed two of the students um, from the local autism center that we've worked with for over a decade. And working with that community now um, and with our with our newer trips, we've, we've revamped the trips a bit. Um, there's just a much bigger emphasis on getting more of the autistic community to travel and be a part of it. Um, and also more, um, involvement with the in-country autistic community. It was, I mean, we had this incredible trip and, you know, I've been reading all the reviews over the last week of this trip and it's like, everybody's favorite moment was the mm -hmm. time with the autistic community, everybody's takeaway was like, I could go home and engage with the autistic community in a, in a different way. So, you know, and one of the most common things we hear is the isolation of the autistic community and people feeling alone and people feeling like they're, people don't care about them, you know, and that has dire effects. And so I think that um, one of the things as we sort of enter the next decade of Global Autism Project is how do we how do we address that? Um, and how do we address that through our skill core program and other things we have available? So, yeah. yeah. Rachel, you've also been able to go on the trips. Well, let me first ask this, <clears throat> excuse me. How many countries have you had something in place now? For the organization? Yeah. Um, we have worked over the last 20 years, we've worked with over 20 countries. That's amazing. Yeah. It's incredible. I just thought that was important to just, <laughs> you know, point out and see. Yeah, yeah, Rachel, in your experience, since you were able to go on the trips as well, like tell us about kind of like your first experience and and what, how eye-opening it probably was for you to be in another country where mm. we're seeing the needs not being met or what that looked like. Yeah. So that first trip that I went on, that was to our partner um, site at the time in Uganda. We're no longer working with them, but at that site, um, they had a residential center at, for the um, individuals with autism. So it was, I think, ages, the youngest was probably eight up to maybe 18 or 20. Um, so what surprised me there was just how um, independent these kids were, how independent their students were. Like sometimes <laughs> there's a, a moment I remember where we were washing our own clothes 
as a team um, because there were no washing machines at the place we were staying. So we bought some soap and we were washing in the in the shower. And we some of us were like, well, how do we do this? Like, what? how do we wash our clothes with our hands? And we watched the students at the center wash their own clothes. And we learned from them how to do it. And they were also cooking their own food. They were doing chores around the house that they were staying at. And it was just so inspiring also to think that some of the kids in the U.S. that were, you know, trying to teach life skills to um, we're, maybe we're not giving them as much um, credit for what they can do, mm-hmm. I would say. So that was that was really eye opening. Also, um, I was just really impressed with so another site that we work at in Kenya Um they have a multidisciplinary team. They have an ABA um, department, a speech department, OT, PT, music therapy um, classes. And everyone works together as a team just like seamlessly. And sometimes you see that, you know, back home in the U.S. where there people have a hard time collaborating. I think it's getting better, you know, with more people bringing awareness to the importance of it. But um, in some of our partner sites, there's just, there's no drama. Like what is important is the child's goals. That's always at the forefront, you know? So we learn a lot from our partners. Sometimes our skill core volunteers, um, you know, in the past, they would go and think that they're providing some training to our partners, but really they come back learning so much and applying what they've learned to their own work back home. Mm-hmm. That's so fantastic. it's really, it's great. It's a true like collaboration when you think about it like that. Yeah, absolutely. And when we go into these places, I mean, I've never had the opportunity yet. Not, it will come someday in the future. But um, when you do, I can't imagine the amount of um, just awe that you must feel for the whole community, the the pieces that um, have fallen into place. And so I think that that's really, really beautiful. And let's talk about the future of the Global Autism Project and what that looks like moving forward. Molly, what are your next steps? (laughs) What does that look like moving? That's been the question, right? For the last (laughs) kind of chugging along in 2019 and 2020. Mm -hmm. Okay. Looks like we're going to take a little pause from what it is we're doing. Um, and, you know, the it's interesting because we talk about this a lot as our team, that a lot of organizations that focused on international training, international development, just shut down overnight. I mean, they're, they're nowhere to be seen. They're gone now. And so a lot of the organizations that I kind of look to in the early days to go, how do they do that? How do they communicate that to their staff? You know, what, what insurance program do they use? (laughs) You know, and they vanished. And, you know, I was, I was sure that this was not our time to go, that a pandemic was not going to be what took us down. Um, It, it hit us hard. It for sure hit us hard. Skill Corps was the the lifeblood of this organization and that our revenue was completely dependent on Skill Corps programming, everything, right? It was not only how we provided the training and how we engaged with the community, but it was also our revenue. And so over the last several years, we've been doing more and more um, 
first of all, listening and learning from the autistic community and more consulting to businesses here in the U.S. as well as internationally. You know, we sort of went like, okay, well, what is it that we do? And we said, well, we build capacity. So, oh, that's another way of calling that is um, business consulting. So, um, so we've been doing more of that. Um, moving forward, we have a brand new program we created last fall. I guess it's, it's almost a year, half a year right now. Um, and we coach and support businesses all over the world through this program. It's an online coaching program. We have resources available where, um, we created a scorecard so that you can kind of look at how your center is and how it works. Um, and we are building in collaborating with the autistic community as that's just how we do things that it's just as important as your revenue cycle. It's just as important as you, it informs your clinical excellence, right? And so um, so that's one of the things that is kind of next for the organization. And then the other thing um, that we're exceptionally proud of and excited by is our responsive skills training. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges in this industry right now is that People come into it and they leave after a couple of months. The turnover rate is terrible. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, I was consulting with an organization. Their turnover rate was over 100% on the, on the six-month mark. So in six months, 100% of their tech-level staff has turned over. And um, meaning they no longer work there and they've been fully replaced. And so when you think about that impact on the business, on the quality of the services, and ultimately on those kids and on those families, that's something that really has to be addressed. Um, and so we've created this responsive skills training, which is the um, RBT, it meets the criteria for the RBT credential, the IBT credential, which is the tech credential of the IBAO used internationally, and the ABAT credential, which is the tech credential of the QABA used internationally. So still within the space um, of, of ABA, you know, we know that this is the services that families get. This is what gets funded. And we think there's really a, an, um, a vital, um, I guess, even an obligation in a way. Mm -hmm. To make sure that anybody working in this field has that proximity to the autistic community, has been informed, that programming has been informed by the autistic community. So um, I had pretty much nothing to do with the responsive skills training. Rachel had a lot to do with it. Um, but we had over 30 contributors who had lived experience, either um, they themselves were autistic and had had ABA and had some experiences that they wanted to make sure never happened again to anybody. Um, so as part of that entire training, we've co-created it with the autistic community. It provides the context for what it means for the community. It provides the context for some of the um, for some of the controversy that we hear around ABA so that people can enter this field in a more supported way and um, just having a deeper understanding of what it is they, they can do in this field. So, um, so those are, those are sort of the, the big next things. We are still running trips. We are running our, um, but our focus really is on that affiliate program and on that responsive skills training, because I think the impact that we're out to make in the world happens much faster by informing businesses um, and how they're, how they're running. Yeah. So. 
Do yeah. you feel like uh, this question just popped into my mind out when you're out in the communities or you're getting information from those international partners? Do you feel like the training or even the diagnosis processes are really hard for them to achieve? Yes. Um, it's a great question. So, you know, some of the most common, I was just talking with someone um, from Guyana about this yesterday, is that, you know, a lot of those training tools have been developed and normed as they are for young white boys in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see, you know, we see this issue with girls and women being diagnosed later in life. Um, but the other thing, you know, the the toys and the materials and the sort of props of the evaluations themselves are things that you would see in any classroom here in the U.S. We don't see them in any classroom in Guyana. You don't see them in any classroom in Kenya. So are they even appropriate to really use? They're the best thing we have right now. So the diagnostic tools themselves are a bit skewed, as as they all are. Um, but but that that um, that sort of difference between the I can't think of the right word, but the the skewing <laughs> um, is wider, right? When yeah. we start looking into other cultures, these things are not culturally validated. They're not culturally normed for anything outside the U.S. Yeah. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing, and one of the biggest challenges is that in the place of effective diagnosis, in the place of effective training, lots of families around the world rely on their belief systems that they know. And so oftentimes we'll hear that the children are possessed or witchcraft is the problem and the solution is an exorcism. Um, So that's one of the challenges as well. We never, never, never go into a community and say, oh my gosh, that's totally wrong. Right. We are curious about it. I learned that back in 2003. It's like somebody asked me if the children's parents had had a big wedding and I was like, oh, I have no idea. And so if they did, they probably invited someone who didn't like them very much who put a curse on the child. And that's what happened. And so I was like, got it. What's this kid like to eat? You know, um, <laughs> that's that's what I've learned and just, just like very much learned over the last 20 years that engaging with curiosity um, just makes yeah. a big difference. And we were kind of speaking to that yesterday, Rachel, when we were talking um, in the little meeting we had, and that is the, the asking questions. I was stating that I think the asking questions is so important in in all fields, really, but showing your curiosity, not only gives the family and the child, the understanding that you support them and you want to know more about them and you care for them rather than just coming in with a plan and stating all the facts. And I think it's so important that we build those relationships with families and and with therapists and our multidisciplinary team, because those are the people that we are going to kind of carry this process through with and having them all on board is so important. (laughs) The beauty of teamwork. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. offer, you know, and I think if, as Rachel said, and I remember that conversation where she said, you know, I'd never thought about what this was like for my parents. Well, that's a really important, valid piece of this puzzle, Mm -hmm. you know, to think about what is it like for a parent? What is it like for, and, and likewise, do parents think about what it's like for that autistic child sometimes, and sometimes they're really focused on what it's like for them. And so just creating that that's the norm where we have those conversations 
um, you know, makes, makes a big difference. Yeah, definitely. So when we go into these other countries, kind of give us like an idea of what a day looks like. Um, so Rachel, tell us what a day, you know, in, in Ghana looked like when you just recently that's, Oh no, you guys just went to Kenya. Right. What does that look like? Okay. Well, every day was different. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's true. But let's say that, so I can kind of give you like a week overview, Super. maybe that would be a little bit more helpful. Um, so you can get an idea of all the different things that we did on that trip. Um, so uh, we had a team of, um, I think there was about 20 to 25 of us um, total. And we worked, so our team consisted of um some previous skill core members who had traveled with us in the past and also our, some of our international partners, which is really exciting. We had our partners from Ecuador, from Rwanda and from India with us. Am I missing anyone? Uh, I think that was it this time. Yeah. And also, yeah, our partners in Kenya would, would meet us for some of the activities too. So it was really great for the team to just be so global to begin with. Um, we did a lot of leadership training. So um, having people learn about themselves, who they are as leaders, how who they can step into being, which is very, very um, applicable to their work that they're doing back home. And we did a lot of work in the community. So we met with Um, different stakeholders, people who uh, were autistic themselves, sharing their stories, learning from them. We met with parents um, and we also met with different entrepreneurs who want to open uh, opportunities for employment for their own um, staff. We also did training um, at that African Coffee Roasters that Molly mentioned. We did uh, like a autism awareness kind of acceptance training for their staff because they are now working with autistic people. And it was interesting to see the different levels of understanding in those conversations. Some people um, had never met an autistic person in their life. And some people were actually, you know, they started to open up about um, autistic people in their own families, and they never shared that information with any of their colleagues before. So we, um, yeah, there was a, a wide range of, of activities that we were doing throughout the week. And I think the, the main focus of that trip was employment. So every conversation we were having, even if it was about leadership training for our own team um, or communication with the different people in the community, there was always that common um, that common theme of employment and what can we do to make it more accessible for people? So, yeah. yeah, Molly, did I miss anything about what we did that trip? No, I think those are the big pieces. Um, you know, as you said, the, um, you know, just the collaborating with the autistic community, the, um, the conversations that we started with African coffee roasters were really exciting. We did this very cool dinner where we had, um, the, it was sort of this guided dinner party. And so we had the autistic community 
Um, you know, we eliminated the need for small talk based on some feedback from our autistic friends. Um, and we had kind of very direct questions that were asked at each table so that we could really focus on um, just what we were there to create. And so each table had a local entrepreneur, a local autistic self-advocate, some members of our team. Um, we had some local parents at some of the tables. And so, and then we were all kind of asked, it was a whole table conversation. So there was no small talk. There was no side talk. Um, we were just all, and we were able to kind of chime in as comfortable. We got lots of incredible feedback on that event. Um, and it was just really exciting to have entrepreneurs who were there who were like, yeah, I'd love to employ the autistic community. Where do I start? And we're like, well, person who is in Kenya <laughs> and autistic, where do they start? You know, <laughs> and then to learn from that. And, you know, we, we just have this idea of thinking that like here in the U S yes, we have limited resources. Yes, we have this, but overall we're doing a pretty great job. And I think, you know, getting to be in another country and another culture and see what it, what's possible to create there allowed us to see, um, People, like I said, people came from that dinner and said, like, let me go home and create this in my own community. This is something really important and special. So yeah, it was great. Absolutely. What do you think uh, moving forward? Like, what would you, obviously there's no end game really, but what would like your, your biggest um, kind of want from the global autism uh, project be for the autistic community? That's a good question. I don't think I'm the best person to answer it. Um, you know, I think that what we're out to do is to create that community, create those opportunities for collaboration. Um, there's a lot that happens right now through the Global Autism Project community that, um, you know, our online community and just our people who've met each other through our work, through Global Summit, things like that. Um there's a lot that happens now through those people, different research being done and training happening. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. You know, you think about, we've had over a thousand people travel with us. We've worked with 20 countries, you know, we've impacted so many people um, and to kind of see the ripple effect and see what they go forward and do with it is, is really exciting. So if there was kind of a single thing that I wanted, um, you know, I think in the same way that I said, I don't want any, parent to ever feel alone or desperate. I don't want anybody, any human impacted by autism, affected by autism, autistic to feel alone or desperate. Um, and if all the global autism project does is provides those friendships in that community, that's, that's like good enough for us, you know? I love that. So. Mm -hmm, definitely. Well, you're doing a fantastic job and it's, it is already, those pieces are already being put together and have already, um, can, you know, brought so many relationships together. Uh, so amazing job, amazing job. So you did mention a little, the global autism summit. Let's talk about that while we have a few more minutes left before we go. Yeah. Somebody asked me, they said, so is it like a conference? And I was like, no, <laughs> it's way more fun. It's way more experiential. It's way more immersive. Um, so Global Summit happened. Our first, what we thought was going to be our first annual Global Summit happened in 2019. Um, our second annual Global Summit will be happening in 2023. Um, so, you know, four years later. <laughs> year, first annual leap year global summit. Yeah, right. 
but it's yeah it's um (laughs) it's it's so funny because there's this video and it's like welcome to our first annual and i'm quad annual (laughs) um so that's happening this year and so what that is is that is sort of the in-person event um, that brings together our online community, brings together our skill core community, brings together our partner community, brings together supporters and stakeholders and people who have, you know, supported the work of the Global Autism Project. Um, you know, we were we were looking at it a few months back and we're like, you know, do we do we go to such a cool location? Because we host it in Bali. Um, we hosted it in Bali in 2019. Bali is a beautiful island um, of Indonesia. And we hosted it there in 2019 and we're hosting it there in 2023. Um, it, it, I can't really think of a better way to describe it than it's a whole lot of synergistic connections that are getting made. Um, yes, there's some workshop content. Um, it's more about leadership and personal development and transformation and how you can make a difference in this community. Um, it is, we have some improv activities. We have, um, you know, we just, it's, yeah, we, we've done yoga. We've done cooking classes. We've done improv. So you see why I don't want to call it a conference, yeah. right? No, it's a celebration. Interactive. There you go. Yeah, it's like this interactive, immersive celebration. that's just magical. So I think, um, yeah, so we're really, really excited to bring that back. Um, in fact, Today is Thursday, April 6th, 2023. Registration day. Registration day. Exactly. Tickets have gone on sale. um, Or I think, yeah, 7 a.m. today. So they're there. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. So there's information about that on our website, globalautismproject.org. That's what Um, I was just going to ask you. Tell us your website. (laughs) Really amazing. And it's, you know, you stay in villas with people that you may not have met before and, um, it's an all-inclusive kind of, you know, once you're in, once you're in country, your meals, your transportation, your housing. So it's, it's really a very cool, um, it's, it's, it's amazing. We're excited to bring it back. That so. sounds amazing. I, yeah. I can't wait to, to hear about it. I yeah. don't know that I could go this year, but definitely excited. Well, hopefully it's an the annual. Intention, <laughs> yep. The intention for it to be annual is there. That's what yeah, matters, exactly. right? <laughs> Yeah. And you know, what was beautiful also about the one in 2019 was it was the first time all of our partners were in one place together. We had regional conferences, regional summits earlier that year um, where, you know, some of them met in different smaller groups. Um, But this was like a big reunion. It was like a big family reunion, really. And so what was also beautiful was one day we did a um, a poster. This was conference style esque, but we had a poster room. Yeah, where the part each partner presented something that they had accomplished at their center, and they would stand next to their part. Like they spent a lot of time on this. We had it printed in Bali. It, it was a lot of work for them, and so they presented whatever it was that their mini project was at. Not mini, but their project at their center. Um, for example, Yasser, our partner in Saudi Arabia, he um, had a program called Give Me a Voice. So he was presenting on his Give Me a Voice program where he helped his little ones um, communicate. And so it was very empowering for them to share. And also 
for them yeah. to hear, learn from each other and hear that they're going through similar struggles. And as Molly was saying, part of the work that we're doing is so that people don't feel alone. And it was there in that those magical four days that they actually realized, hey, I'm not in this alone. Like people are, people understand me, they feel validated and they feel supported. Like I won't spoil um, one of our fun activities that we did, but I'll just say that by the end of it, you feel like everyone has your back. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I, yeah. and that's so wonderful. And it, it is such a takeaway when you recognize that somebody else is having the same experience as you, whether it be that they um, are working with individuals or in, are an individual themselves, um, just having these relationships and the opportunity to make them to help not feel so isolated on this journey because it um, definitely, I'm sure millions of families can say the same, that that feeling of isolation is never a good one. And there's so many opportunities and resources and communities. And so if you are uh, in another country and you're looking to find some way to bring some more expertise uh, into your community, please now you know you can reach out to uh, the Global Autism Project, find out how they can come and better serve your community, help you figure out how to scale up your autism projects, if that's something you're interested in, or just come and be a part of these amazing summits and um, adventures that they're taking part of to help bring the autistic community uh, a better voice, more understanding, more support. So bravo to you both ladies. So <laughs> thank you thank so you much. Know. It is amazing. So what can we um, see next for the uh, podcast? You're just doing that still and the panels. Are we going to, are you still continuing with that? Yeah, we, um, we were on a, a small hiatus with the community getting our um, catching our breath a little bit in the new year, but now we have just announced a new set of moderators. Um, so that is really exciting. And we um, are getting back into the swing of our monthly themes and our, our roundtables. So um, the community is, you know, open to anyone who, who wants to learn and connect with other like-minded people. So um, I'm sure we can put links to, to join that um, somewhere, right? Is that, <laughs> would that be best to put here in the main chat or? Yeah. Casey, if you could help us with any links, um, to the global autism project, that would be fantastic. So we can have that access for everybody to check out. And of course, autism knows no borders podcast, where you can also get great information and hear these amazing stories being a podcaster, a storyteller myself, it, I see and know the importance of hearing other people's perspectives, getting the ideas that um, me personally having the experience from myself, my husband, and two children to be able to say, what does autism feel like for you in, you know, when you're going to school today? Or what does it, how are you feeling out in the workplace you know, for my husband, what is that like? So it's unique that we can give these ideas to help better um, kind of resolute everyone in the autistic community to know that 
your voice matters. Please reach out to myself and you're welcome to come on to the SJ Child Show anytime, um, as well as to Rachel and Molly at the Autism, the Global Autism Project. So before we go, let's just um, definitely give our links again. I don't know if they're going to be coming up here, but um, Molly, if you have to go, that's not a problem. We can finish out here with Rachel and I, but just want to thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for having Mm -hmm. me. And yeah, you can learn more and reach us at globalautismproject.org. And I look forward to seeing you again. Thank you so much for getting up early and having Mm -hmm. me this morning. It was so great to be with you. Just a pleasure to see you again. We'll definitely... Big shout out to you. Thank you so much for inviting us and also for contributing. We didn't mention this in our conversation, but you contributed to the responsive skills training. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I want to do my part as much as possible for uh, my community as well. And I have to say the the minds that were going in that meeting yesterday, I didn't know if I could stay caught up with that, but (laughs) I was, I was fascinated to tell you the truth, just fascinated um, by the, the content and the, the, the conversation. It was just like, left me buzzing afterwards. I literally was yeah. just left buzzing because it was just so um, progressive. I feel like it's such a progressive conversation and the work and the intention that's being put into it is just so beautiful. So, Oh yeah. Thank really, you. Really yeah. great work. It's exciting. Um, mm-hmm. um, so when is the next skill core trip? I guess we can, we have about four minutes left so we can okay. you know, talk about Okay. That. I wasn't sure if we we're going to the hour or yeah. yeah I'm so not sure either. <laughs> next, then we'll just keep going till we get cut off. So the next skill core trip is going to be in July and then we have another one in October. And where are we going? So July, we are set for Kenya and India. So our last trip to Kenya was actually a pilot trip. We were testing out this new version of Skill Core um, because before, as we mentioned, it was very heavily focused on clinical training. And now we're spreading more into the community and outreach initiatives. Um, so now that we've kind of have the skeleton going uh, and the framework that we, we have an idea of what the new Skill Core will be like, now we're adding on another site. So we'll go visit our partners in India. Mm. And October um, is still quite a, a ways away. So we're not sure yet. <laughs> so we're just kind of going, you know, quarter by quarter here. Yeah. But we are excited for Global Summit. And that will be in September. Wow. Bali. That's amazing. Yes. yes. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And yeah, the, it just puts you in this, like against this beautiful backdrop, you know, and you can't not be in a good mood. Yeah, when you're there. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Absolutely. What is some of the feedback you might, you've gotten from the autistic community um, as far as like maybe their appreciation or, mm, you know, what you they know think what? about it? Yeah. So in our, on our last trip, in Kenya, Andrew Bennett, who you met um, yeah. yesterday in our meet, in our responsive skills training meeting, he was um, a self advocate on that trip, and um, he was just he was overwhelmed with how 
accepted he felt. He kept just saying over and over again that he's found his people. Like he, you know, um, felt like he had a voice that every time he spoke, people wanted to listen. Um, people wanted to hear his experiences um, and that he had something to contribute. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, that's not always the case yeah. um, in society. And so what we're trying to um, model on this trip also is how to interact and how to really move that conversation forward towards acceptance and what that means. Yeah, I love that. Well, and you know, I had a message on something that I had posted about Autism Awareness Month. You need to say acceptance or affirming or something. And I understand that that is the truth, but there's still awareness around the globe mm -hmm. that's still taking mm -hmm. place. And yeah. so it, there's still a place for all of it. Um, and so we might think in the U.S. that we've moved so much far past awareness, but that's not the case on the global level. So we need to kind of be a grace, gracious for everyone um, on their journey, on the place where they're at. So we're probably out of time now that it is hit the six o'clock hour, but or for yeah. me, <laughs> but we're so happy that we were able to come to the Autism Live this morning podcast with on. Thank you yes. so much for being my guest today. It was such Thank a you. pleasure and an honor always to talk to you. And for those of you out there, please, if you have any questions, reach out to us at the SJ Child Show or the Global Autism Project. And we're so happy to be here today and share this with you guys. Thank you, Sarah. And yes. thank you, Autism Live. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Shannon. If you're listening, we love you. Yeah. <laughs>